Shannon's like, oh, dear heavens. My wife is right there. That's my beautiful baby in the third row, my mom and my dad. Shannon's like, Caleb, shut up. So I remember going on this trip to China, and Chad is like, oh, I'm looking forward to this. I go on this trip to China. It was my second time over there, and uh, I had eaten something. I, I don't know what it was, but it made me sick. Like, when I say sick, I mean like donkey flu sick. I don't even know if donkey flu is a thing, but it was a thing because I had eaten donkey. <laughs> I, seriously, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not joking. I had diarrhea for 10 days straight. Not joking. Not joking at all. And it was like I was drinking four or five liters of water. Well, the, the little bottles of water every day. It was just like so much water. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I don't think I can drink any more water, but if I don't, I'm going to die here, and I don't want to die here. I want to go back home, because where we were, you don't go to the hospital there. Like, you will walk away maybe uh, with more problems than what you came in with. So about day three, about day four, we're in our uh, little guest house. And in China, the toilets, really, Caleb, you're going to tell a toilet story in church? The toilets, well, there aren't any toilets. There are holes in the ground, porcelain holes in the ground, right? And I'm like, I've been using the saying, trying to figure the saying out, navigating it. And you know, you're kind of squatting. And when you've got diarrhea, I'm not going to go into the details, <laughs> but <clears throat> it's kind of a mess. Now, <clears throat> now with this uh, particular story, let me back up just a couple of, I don't know, days, four days, five days. I'm leaving the house. My wife is like, hey, babe, I've packed you baby wipes. And here's these Clorox wipes to wipe your hands off with so that you don't get sick on the plane. I'm like, I don't need no baby wipes. I'll take these Clorox wipes. And that's all. Leave these stupid baby wipes home. I don't need no baby wipes. I'm a man, right? Some of the, man, some of the men in here are like, yeah, I ain't taking no baby wipes. So we get over there. Three days in and explosive diarrhea in this little hole, right? I ran out of toilet paper, <laughs> ran out of toilet paper. And I'm like, oh, crap, no pun intended. Uh, like, what am I going <laughs> to, dad jokes, right? Uh, what am I going to do? And I'm like, oh, I've got some Clorox wipes. How bad can this be? <laughs> oh, my word. Oh, my word. I thought I was working for NASA and about to shoot off into space. It was bad. Burning ring of fire. Hi, I'm Caleb. <laughs> you can't take me too seriously, and sometimes you can take me uh, seriously, but first impressions matter, and I'm just a normal guy who's a goofball, and take me with a grain of salt. So uh, as Chad said today, I've, I've kind of launched this website called storied.org, and I'm going to share a little bit about that, and then we're going to go into a story in Scripture uh, but before we do all that, I kind of just want to pray over the room real quick. Uh, just pray that the Spirit would move and move in our hearts. Ah, Abba, Father, thank you for this time where we can reflect on your story, where we can reflect on your word. God, we thank you for goofy stories. We thank you for the funny stories. We thank you uh, for your ultimate story, uh, how you've blessed us with Jesus pray that if there's anything I say here today, Lord, that it would be uh, forgotten. That's if it's not of you, that it would be forgotten. And God, if there is something that is said, I pray that you would seal it in our hearts, that it would be your word. And I ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> your story and my story. 
They are meant to cross paths with God's story. In God's story, it's one that moves from creation to new creation, from life to new life. And my guess is that my story is probably a lot like your story. I would bet, and if, if I were a betting man, I would bet that there's not a single person in this room today who hasn't said something, thought something, or done something that they now regret. Everyone's going, yep. <laughs> and some people are pointing at other people, yeah. Uh, and I would bet that there's not a single person in this room who hasn't been hurt by someone else, either physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. I kind of suspect that in this particular room, there's probably a lot of people sitting in chairs right now, and even standing up, who've been hurt by well-meaning Christians in the church. There's just a hunch I've got. And the flip side of that is true, too. There's not a single person in this room who hasn't hurt someone else intentionally or unintentionally. This is a part of the human story. This is just a part of who we are. Our story is marred by sin. We all have a story. And my hope and prayer for you guys and my hope and prayer for myself is that we would have a Jesus story. Not just a story, but a Jesus story. I remember stepping into storytelling a few years ago. I, was, I had graduated seminary. I was working in a church. I had uh, studied systematic theology like for 20 years of my life. I could, I could put God in these nice, neat little boxes, right? Put a little bow on it. I could describe this aspect of God and that aspect of God and this thing about God. And I had all these little boxes, and I would dare people to come and knock my boxes down, right? Like, that's what you do sometimes. You dare people to come knock your boxes down about God. And at some point, there was just like this revelation or this eye-opening experience where it's like, man, I'm putting God in a box. You can't put God in a box. You can't do God like this. That's not God. I don't know what I'm working with, but it's not God because you can't put God in a box. And I'm like, man, what have I been missing? I've been trying to follow Jesus for 20 years. I've studied apologetics and theology and all these different things. It's not working anymore. Why do I feel so dry, God? I mean, what's going on? And kind of the thing that he just laid on my heart was story. And I'm like, really? Story? That's, that silly little thing called story? Aren't we beyond that? I mean, wasn't that for like uh, preschool and kindergarten and Sunday schools? And like, wasn't that for when I was an elementary kid? Really? Story? So he laid it on my heart and I started to dive into story. I started wanting to understand it. It's kind of like just went head first. I'm like, I'm going to research this. I want to know all this stuff. I want to figure out how stories are put together. I want to figure all this stuff out so that I can maybe be a half decent storyteller. That's, that's kind of what I wanted to do. And I wanted to bring that to my faith. It's just something that God laid on my heart. So I dove into all that. And in the middle of all this, uh, story.org was born. And it was kind of a, it's, it's kind of got a crazy story in and of itself. Really, it started when my grandmother had passed away a few years ago, maybe even more than a few years ago. And I thought to myself, I want to leave something behind for my family. I want to leave something behind for my friends that they can see and watch what my life was and what, uh, what I cared about. So I'm like, well, I'll just make some videos over some of my favorite passages in scripture and I'll leave those behind for one day. Like, I think that'd be a pretty cool gift for my family. I'll just kind of do it and do all that. So started working on that, 
And then I ran across something called the Narrative Lectionary, which goes through one Bible story every single week uh, for four years. That's kind of how it goes, the Old Testament in the fall, New Testament in the spring. And for the last two years, I've just been taking those stories and doing two-minute videos, three-minute videos, four-minute videos, not really thinking too much about it. But about a month ago, I decided to get online, check to see where these things were being watched, because uh, I did feel like it was a ministry God had given me. And I'm like, is story really this thing, God? I mean, is it really effective? Is it really something worth pursuing? And last month when I logged in, there were 30,000 minutes worth of videos watched on the website. And I'm like, wow, God, 30,000 minutes of video in a year? That's crazy. Like, God, what are you doing? There's something around story. There's something powerful about story. There's something about story that just speaks to our heart and soul where doctrine doesn't, systematic theology doesn't, and fancy words don't. There's just something about story that lifts us up. I want to show you guys a video uh, about story and the power of story. And this is a video from a group called The Table out of the Pacific Northwest. Ever since light was shouted into being, since the world came forth in space and blood and bones and breath, we've been a people who go on knowing and being known through the stories we tell and are told. Stories call forth life in graveyards. They reach into the bedrooms of the lonely and offer up a timely me too. For those of us who forget who we are, and whose we are, there are always stories nearby waiting there to remind us, to call us back home. In her book, The God of Small Things, Arundhati Roy says that the secret of the great stories is that they have no secrets. The great stories are the ones you've heard and want to hear again. The ones you can enter anywhere and inhabit comfortably. They don't deceive you with thrills and trick endings. They don't surprise you with the unforeseen. They're as familiar as the house you live in or the smell of your lover's skin. You know how they end, yet you listen as though you don't. In the way that although you know that one day you will die, you live as though you won't. In the great stories, you know who lives, who dies, who finds love, who doesn't, and yet you want to know again. That is their mystery. That is their magic. I remember watching this video for the first time a few years ago, and it really spoke to me. I don't know why, but it did. It just kind of hit me. And I remember watching it and going, ah, a storied theology of God, understanding God through story. Is that a better way to understand God than through rote doctrine or rote paragraphs or different thoughts and philosophies and ideas? Is, is story the best way to understand what God is up to in the world? And I just kind of ran with it. So this morning, we're just going to do that with a story out of Scripture. It's, it's the genealogy of Jesus. And I'll be honest with you. When I saw that the genealogy of Jesus was the passage for this week out of the narrative lectionary, I was kind of like, see ya. <laughs> I'm not going to do that story. That's crazy. Who preaches on the genealogy of Jesus? That's just nuts. 
And then it kind of hit me. I'm like, okay, Caleb, you're being obstinate. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, you need to ask yourself, does the genealogy of Jesus tell a story? And if it does, what story does it tell? What does it tell us about who God is? Now, I'm just curious, by a raise of hands, has anyone ever actually read every single name in Matthew chapter 1? <laughs> Few of us have, right? And it's just kind of like, you're starting this new Bible plan for the year, and you're starting in Matthew, and it's like, seriously, right? Let's be honest. It's like, whoa. Man, I had done that my entire life. It was just kind of one of like, okay, I'll click the little checkbox. Yeah, I read it, but not really, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. So we're going to do the genealogy of Jesus. And it's just this family line from Abraham to Jesus that Matthew writes down. And you've got to ask yourself, does it tell a story? And it does. So in this particular genealogy, if you read it, there are, I think there are actually five women mentioned. Four of them have close connections to the Gentiles. That's a story in and of itself. Like, wait a second, God. Here's the family line of Jesus who is Jewish. And we're Jewish and we're the Jewish people. And we have this great leader that is arriving on scene. And he's got to be for the Gentiles too. He's got to be for the outsiders. He's got to be for the people outside of our circle. Uh-huh. Whoa, that's different. That's a different kind of kingdom. That's a story. We could run with that all morning. We're not going to run with that all morning, but that's a story. That's just one story in this genealogy about these four women. Let's start with Abraham. Abraham was an old, old man, right? Him and Sarah were old. They were too old to have kids. There's no way they could have kids at this point. I guess I need to stand back here, don't I? I keep walking in front of the monitors or the speakers. They couldn't have kids. They just couldn't. They're too old for that. And God comes to them and says, hey, Abraham, you're going to have a son. This is the start of this genealogy. Hey, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And you're going to have a family. Even though you're too old to have kids, you're going to have the son. You're going to have this family. And you are going to be the father of a multitude. You're going to be the father of a nation. The father of a people so numerous that it would be like trying to count the stars. And I'm sure Abraham's like, what? Are you serious? Right? I can't have kids. How am I going to be the father of this multitude, of this nation? And God says, it's going to happen. Watch and see. And God goes on to tell him, and Abraham, you're going to be a nation that doesn't just exist for itself. You're going to be a nation that exists for the sake of others. That's the start of this genealogy. It's kind of like, whoa, in one word, Abraham. Abraham begat, or Abraham fathered. Man, this was the start of something beautiful and awesome and amazing of a kingdom that would carry down a family line. Now, Abraham was a knothead. Any knotheads in here? Yeah, all the guys raised their hands. None of the girls did. Cool. Let's <clears throat> see how it is. Uh, so, uh, so Matthew keeps telling these uh, begats and fathers, and he keeps going down this line and just like, oh my gosh, all these people, we have Abraham. And then he lands on David, uh, King David, who married, anyone know? Uriah's wife. Wait a second, Matthew, why didn't you say Bathsheba? Why'd you say Uriah's wife? Man, there was some, there was some baggage in Jesus' family tree. 
There is some stuff going on. Here's David who's a murderer, who's an adulterer, who in this particular passage is referred to as, hey, here's David who married Uriah's wife. It's like, oh, whoa, that's a story in and of itself. Like what happened with David's life? How can a guy who is a murderer, an adulterer, be a man who is after God's own heart? How does that work? That's a story. That's kind of crazy. And what's even crazier about it is God came to him and said, hey, David, I'm going to establish your kingdom forever. Yeah, I know you're not pure. I know you're not maybe the noblest of guys. But through you, because of who I am, I'm going to establish a kingdom that lasts eternally. Whoa, that's a story too. Anyone ever feel like they're the mess up and you're just waiting for God to use you again? I bet there's some people in this room that feel like that. So that's a part of the story. Matthew goes on with that, and it's kind of like, wow, a genealogy. I thought this stuff was boring. And then he gets to the exile, and the exile is just bad. There's nothing good you can say about the exile. In this particular genealogy, he just lists off all these names, and they're in exile. They've been taken away from their homes, from their families. Life as they know it has been destroyed. They're slaves. They've been cast away in a foreign land. Anyone ever feel like everything's just been taken from them and they don't know what's next? Here are the exiles. Here's this story. And Matthew concludes this story with, then Jesus. That's the turning point, right? That changes things. Then Jesus. So every story is made of the same four things. Every good story is the same four things over and over and over again. I think that's maybe the only thing I've really learned in the last three years that I could just like put my foot down on. Every story has characters. And all these characters, they have just their own lives. They have their own experiences, their own uh, interactions with others. Every story has attention, something that they're wrestling with. And the family line of Jesus and the genealogy of Jesus here are some not-so-noble people, some not-so-great people that God is going to use to usher in the Messiah because that's how God works in the world. He doesn't use the best of the best. Sometimes he uses the worst of the worst, or he uses those people we least expect. And then there's the resolution. And in this particular story, the resolution, the resolution to the tension, the thing that resolves the tension is then Jesus. Man. Then Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, kind of like Justin preached last week, right? And then the other thing, a through line. It's the main idea. It's the main theme that carries itself all the way from beginning to end. And at the very beginning of this story, of this genealogy, Abraham, I'm going to make you a nation that exists to bless others. And in the back of God's head, regardless of what any of you guys do, I'm going to bless others through you. You're going to be a nation that exists not just for yourselves, but for others. And he carries that all the way to Jesus, and Jesus is the climax of it all. Jesus exists not just for himself. He exists for others. He loves others. He serves others. He didn't have, like, this personal agenda that was trying to make him look like he was the greatest thing. God is God because God does what none of the rest of us can. God's selfless. God is true love, pure love. And that's the end of the story, and it's just such a cool story and a genealogy. I could have sat for weeks trying to dissect that thing. 
going, this is boring. Like, this is really boring, and I could have made my charts. I could have made my little family tree. I could have connected all the dates and the dots and all that. It would have been, it would have meant nothing, right? But when you approach it as a story, and that maybe that's my challenge for you guys this year is to approach Scripture as a story. I know you guys have been doing that, but if you approach it as a story and let the story speak for itself, maybe there'll be some things that you haven't seen before. I'll go ahead and have the band come on up. And here's my closing words for you guys. Maybe there's some Abrahams in this room this morning. Some people who just need a miracle. They need the impossible to happen. Right? They just need a miracle. They need the impossible to happen. My word for you is then Jesus. Or maybe, maybe you're a King David in the room. Maybe you've done some really stupid things and you're repenting and you're trying to chase after God's heart now. My word for you is still the same thing as it is for Abraham. Then, Jesus. Or maybe, maybe you're sitting in this room this morning and you are in exile. Everything you've known, everything you've cared for has been taken from you. It's been stripped from you. My word for you is then, Jesus. That's the story.